Hjertelig velkommen til et nytt program her på Israel-kanalen. Denne gangen så skal jeg ta dere med til Jerusalem, hvor vi skal møte en organisasjon som heter Cry for Zion, og deres to hovedmedarbeidere. Welcome to the program, Doron Keilar. Thank you. You are one of the founders of this organization. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the work that you do and how it started? Sure. I would say it started in 2014. That's when we actually started the uh, Cry for Zion organization. And what led up to that was just throughout the years, I noticed the tension, the growing tensions on the Temple Mount. And it really bothered me that I didn't understand what was the big deal. You know, so you would see riots and we would be with tourists up on the Mount of Olives, for example. I remember one year in year 2000 and something, you know, about 15, year, 15, 14 years ago, give or take. And one of those classic riots and they were asking us, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. They're just, you know, getting angry again and we don't really know why. And so I, I recognized my ignorance there. And another real key uh, year was when I was actually guiding a good friend of mine and his family throughout the land of Israel. And he wanted to go to the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed uh, on, on Passover. You know, and he prayed you know, before uh, the crucifixion and so on. And so he wanted to have that experience. And he says, can we go up there? I said, sure, you know, at night. So we go up there at night and he pulls out his flashlight this, uh, he's like a tactical guy, you know, he pulls out this tactical flashlight with a high beam and he just just touched the walls, you know, the, the, the eastern walls of the Temple Mount. And within minutes, we had border policemen that showed up on scene in the middle of the night. There's nobody there, just us. And then they started to be all, you know, suspicious, like, what are you guys doing and all this? And they were ready for, like, action. And we were just like, we're not doing anything. And they're just like, well, we got a report, you know, that, you know, so you guys need to get out of here. And we're like, all right, we're, we're leaving. Everything's cool. And that just, you know, that lit up a, a, a light in my head realizing, wow, there's something very, very serious about this. And I need to research it. I need to understand why is this such a touchy subject? So. And the work that you started, how Tell me a little bit about the, the development of that. Well, I started to go and speak in the United States on speaking tours and different Christian groups typically. And um, I really felt inspired to talk about the importance of the Temple Mount as I was researching. Like I said, I started to get into it. And I felt inspired to kind of get Christians motivated to take action on the Temple Mount issue. And as I was traveling and speaking, finally I realized, like the coin dropped, no, 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 you need to take this up. This is your mission. This isn't somebody else's mission. And so I realized, okay, so now the ball's in my court. You know, I thought I was going to just talk about it and get, you know, Christians inspired about it and they're going to do something. And so I realized, when, it, when, it, when I realized it was my responsibility, okay, so what are we going to do? And, and, that, and I think it's just about a year after that, that speaking tour is when uh, we started Cry for Zion. So we started with a movement, basically, um, not just an organization, but kind of trying to rally mainly Christians because we have Jewish organizations who, uh, who propagate for the importance of the Temple Mount, you know, the, the, the Temple Institute, and, you know, you, you can rattle them off. There's like roughly 40 
well-known organizations here in Israel for Jewish, for Jewish uh, uh, audience. And I realized there's nothing for the Christian audience. And so that's why we felt we need to start a movement. It has to have a petition that basically Christians can rally behind and say, I can stand behind this, which, as you probably know, in Norway, um, there's many different Christian denominations, opinions, theology on this. So it's not an easy thing to rally so many you know, different Christian groups on. So my goal was to, how can I concise it into some simple points that all Christians can agree on and realize, yes, I can stand behind this. So that's what we did in 2014 and uh, have been doing that ever since. Uh, I, I went up to the Temple Mount the last time I was in Israel, actually in 2019, together with Yehuda Glick. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, he is going there praying. And in one sense, it's forbidden for Jews to pray there. Uh, they're not allowed. But he, I mean, we, he was you know, able to do that anyway. Uh, is this a movement that you cooperate with or, or you have interactions with? Or? Yes. Uh, actually, I know Yehuda Glick personally. Um, we've talked with, with other groups and other organizations. We have kind of like a think tank, if you will, of Jews and Christians uh, trying to help each other understand each other and cooperate with each other for Israel-focused issues. And so we meet quite often in those groups. And um, I would say I definitely support what he's doing. And I definitely support within our, within our petition. In fact, it's very specific. It says that, that we're petitioning, the Christian world is petitioning for Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. So any Jewish organization or individuals who are trying to uh, change the status quo, which is you're forbidden from praying on the Temple Mount, we're definitely supporting them and backing them. But at the same time, the question is how? And I think it's the approach that matters. So I don't support people that will make provocations and prostrate themselves and, and try to draw attention and then cause a big you know, stir. So it's all about how you do it. And um, I think that's very important. And at the same time, that's why the petition is actually petitioning the Israeli government because there's, that's the how. You know, there's, there's law, there's order. And like you said, Yudha Glik has uh, been able to pray up there in 2019. And that's part of the changing of the status quo via the government, via the Israeli police, via the Islamic Waqf. You know, you have to work in cooperation with what's existing there. You don't just come in like a bull in the you know, China shop coming through and saying, we just want our way. It's, it's very sensitive. It's a very sensitive issue, and there's a way and an approach that you can go about it, and that's what we're trying to do. That's literally what we're trying to do, and rally the Christian voice, because we know if it's just Jews who are petitioning for this and, and, and trying to you know, say we should have the freedom of worship, that's a small number of people. But when you have the Christian world understanding it's important to us as well, which from the Jews' perspective, it's a house of prayer for all nations. And that's why we actually want to incorporate the nations in our petition to pray on the Temple Mount. So uh, when we see on social media, for example, a lot of videos where Jews starting to pray on the Temple Mount, or, and then they get arrested very quickly mm -hmm. and are taken away. Right. Uh, so this is something that you, you, not, you don't support that uh, behavior? No, I don't support the provocation because I, I support their freedom of worship to do that. Yeah. You know, the, the principle. Yeah, yeah. principle, yes. But 
but but but but pushing the buck like that, so to speak, mm. it's not it's not helpful. It 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 what it because here's what happens: the Islamic walk gets angry. They um, you know they're gonna preach to their audience, their their Muslim audience who are who are devout Muslims, and I'm not saying that you know most Muslims are gonna do this, but the ones who are more likely to use violence, who are gonna hear you know, the feedback that look what the Jews are doing, look at the provocations, they're going to take action. And they're going to use, you know, they're going to use their theological justification for attacks, which, by the way, just two weeks ago, we had two attacks consecutively in one week up on the Temple Mount. Uh, one on the, on the Lion Gate and one on the Cotton Gate. And uh, I actually work uh, very closely with the Israeli police uh, in East Jerusalem and have met with these men and have spoken to them and hearing their stories and hearing their challenges to keep the peace on the Temple Mount. And they're not doing it for Israel. They're keeping the peace. The Israeli police officers are trying to keep the peace for both Muslims to have you know, uh, freedom of worship on the Temple Mount as also the Jewish people and as also Christian visitors and so on. So they're in the middle here. And I care very much about how that affects them, what I do. And that's always in the back of my mind. We got to be very careful how we tread on these issues and, and don't cause more harm for these uh, wonderful men who are literally laying down their lives for the peace up on the Temple Mount. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the, the, the site itself, uh, it, it once hosted the temple. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, you know, the Temple Institute, as you mentioned, they're trying to rebuild uh, the temple up there. How do you look at that? Will it happen, do you think? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, the simple version, the, you know, the, the simple, you know, my simple version is it's not about a structure. It's not about building a third temple. It's about having the freedom to pray up on the Temple Mount is kind of the, 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 the key. And I see that um, as an important how to say, uh, timeline and prophetic history before Messiah comes. That it seems that there's going to be a time where the Jewish people will have a, a, a third temple to pray at. If we, if, if we, if we uh, how to say, if we merit, you know, if we merit to, to, to see that day, then yes. But, but is it going to be a, a structure? Is it going to just be an open air, you know, freedom to pray up there? I don't know. I really don't know because it's not very clear from the prophets or the scriptures that we have, but if history repeats itself, and I think that's something that's very key in prophetic history and how it repeats itself, you have the Hanukkah story, and you have the Jewish people who are allowed to pray up on the Temple Mount under, under the, uh, the Greek, Greco-Assyrian uh, uh, Empire, and, um, but, then, but then it got taken over, and then they had to fight to, 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 to cleanse it and, and get it back. So I think that's what we're seeing today is a repeat of that history, is a battle for this holy place. And I definitely believe it's God's will that the Jewish people have access to pray there because one of the scriptures says is that when you have, when you pray on the Temple Mount, you, ha you will have security all around, it says. And so that's a very important understanding that if we want peace in the Middle East, then you have to have the freedom to pray on the Temple Mount because I think that's a key factor, scripturally speaking. Interesting. Uh, what else uh, can you tell me about your work? 
Well, part of what we're doing besides um, having the Temple Mount Report, which is a, uh, a program that we have where we have top experts in the fields from both Christians and Jews discuss the issue of the Temple Mount, um, we're also having a planned every two years or so to have a Temple Mount Convention. And we had our first one in 2018. We had our second one planned for 2020. And because of COVID, the whole thing got, you know, botched, yeah. so to speak. And God willing, now that the borders are opening, uh, our plan is this year, sometime around Hanukkah time, because we feel the, the, you know, the, the season of Hanukkah is a very important uh, season to teach on this, because that's, like I said, as far as prophetic history repeating itself, there's a lot there. Yeah. And so that's our goal is uh, we'll, we'll, we'll announce the dates uh, shortly, but that's what we're focusing now that the borders are open and uh, we can do that. So that will be a physical event or? God willing, that's what we're looking yeah. to do, yeah. Because we don't feel it's good to have uh, like a Zoom style, like, like many conferences have been doing and kind of getting on with COVID. I think what's important with our convention is the interaction because it's the only convention you'll ever see and I think historically has ever happened where, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's groundbreaking. You have Jews and Christians coming together on a, on a subject that we can agree on. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, of course, because Christians have their you know, worldview and Jews have theirs. But the fact that there's a debate going on and, and, and trying to learn from each other, I think that interaction is very, very key and important. So we want to have a physical event, and that's what we're focusing on. Well, I wish you all the best and God's blessing with, the, with your work here around the Temple Mount. Uh, we are not going to, to, to meet your brother-in-law, actually, who is also working together with you on this uh, topic. So thank you very much, Doron. Thank you. Then I want to welcome John Anderson to this program as well. You are, together with Doron, part of the, the leadership in Cry for Zion. Uh, how did you get involved with this? Yes, I'm the Christian director and I got involved um, through Doron and he started explaining that he felt that this was a very important topic. And at that time I thought the Temple Mount was for crazy people who wanted to blow up the Dome of the Rock, uh, you know, for extremists. Um, so, but I, I took him seriously and I started to investigate the topic and I was very surprised to find out how central the Temple Mount issue is to uh, the Bible. It's definitely the holiest place in the world, biblically speaking, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, whichever way you look at it, it's the holiest place on earth. Um, God calls it his throne on the earth. And uh, we talk about the promise that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary that, that Jesus will inherit the throne of his father David and reign there forever. Well, King David didn't have a throne in heaven, but his son Solomon inherited his throne and it was on the Temple Mount right next to the temple. That is the very holiest place in the, in the world. And so looking into it, starting to learn about it, you know, Israel, if we still consider Israel to be a special land, that there is a holy area of the earth, then Jerusalem is the holy city, and it's still special in God's eyes. Well, is Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, is that still holy in God's eyes? And I think that it is. 
Um, in fact, I think it's Mount Zion that makes Jerusalem special, and Jerusalem makes the land special in a certain way. It's like the Holy of Holies of, of everything. And it's also something of a prophetic time clock. If you look at the destruction of Israel, first the land was destroyed by the Romans, then the, uh, no, backing up, reverse. First, the Romans really destroyed the temple um, in yeah. 70 AD. Yeah. And then they, uh, there was a second Jewish revolt and Jerusalem was crushed in an extra way of just being um, really uh, destroyed even more. Yeah, the Bar Kokhba revolt? The Bar Kokhba revolt, yeah. yeah. Uh, not long after, uh, 135 around there. And then the land was also made desolate. If we look now at the restoration of Israel, first the land has been restored in 1948. Um, but Jerusalem was not allowed to be in the picture just as things developed. But 50 years after that, in 1967, in that war, a very miraculous war, Jerusalem was restored to the Jewish people. But through certain events that happened in that miraculous war, the Temple Mount was not the keys to the Temple Mount were given back um, to the Jordanian Muslim Waqf, the Muslim custodians, uh, through very strange events. But it's been 50 years, over 50 years since that time, and that status quo is still an anomaly, an exception in the state of Israel. So it's the heart of the capital of Israel, but the flag of Israel is not allowed to fly on the Temple Mount. Um, so even for people who care about Israel, it's the, the Temple Mount is the most Jewish site in the whole land. Most history, most connections, it's the holiest place for all Jews. But if Jews can't have their rights, fly their flag, or pray openly mm. to God, why should they have rights in Tel Aviv or Haifa that are not as significant sites in their history? So the whole argument for Israel kind of stands and falls on the Temple Mount. And then you also see the prophetic time clock. Uh, we like to say that it's like a big clock, that if uh, Israel is like the hour hand going around, then Jerusalem is like the minute hand showing what's happening, but the Temple Mount is like the seconds, tick, tick. That's where it's all focused. Yeah. Uh, so the significance of temple, the Temple Mount, uh, is you know important then, but from a theological viewpoint, uh, from the Christian view, does it really matter for us? That's a really good question. When we first started getting in, getting involved, uh, we asked different Christian leaders who care about Israel uh, to to support prayer and freedom for the Jewish people and their sovereignty on the Temple Mount, and they said. My prayer closet is holier than the Temple Mount. You know, now everything is holy. Everything is uh, universal. Um, God is done with the Temple. I like to think of the Temple as the last stronghold of replacement theology. It really is. Even people who reject replacement theology, that God has not replaced the Jewish people or canceled their covenant, still, you know, with Jesus, the Temple is out of the picture. I think that if you look at the honest evidence of the New Testament, Jesus loved the temple. 
It was, he called it my father's house. Uh, when he cleansed it from people who were corrupt, he, the disciples said that zeal for the house has consumed him, quoting the Psalms. Then if you look into the book of Acts, uh, it was the daily meeting place of all the disciples, of the apostles, and especially in Acts chapter 21, Paul, even after writing his famous letters, many of them, on his final visit to Jerusalem, he offered um, sin sacrifices in the temple. So the apostles did not understand the temple to be in conflict with the atonement at the cross. Far from it. And the book of Hebrews is very clear that the, the temple sacrifices never gave anyone eternal salvation. In fact, uh, you know, all through scriptures, whether it's Abraham or Moses, no one was saved by the temple. You're saved by faith and repentance. So the temple has powerful illustrations, but it never was in conflict with the cross. That's something that Christian theology has added later in its interpretation, saying, ha, the temple was destroyed. It's a proof that Jesus is right, Christians are right, and it must always be destroyed to show that we're right. Um, I don't think that's God's way of looking at it. It's not the way that the prophets look at it or the New Testament. Uh, in Christian circles, it's been uh, claimed that, you know, that the curtain in the, the Holy of the Holiest, when it was uh, uh, ripped in two, ripped in two uh, it was an act of God it, because it was from the, uh, the, from the top down. And that symbolizes that the significance of the temple is over. How do you counter as an, uh, such a, uh, a word? It's definitely a miraculous event that happens in the Gospels, uh, but it's not interpreted. It doesn't say what it means. Then we look at Acts and we see what the apostles, how they viewed the temple, how they loved it, Jesus loved it, and they participated, they prayed there. Paul would even participate and pray there and offer sacrifices. That event, I think, can be interpreted two ways. One can be it's ripped, the temple is over and done with, even though the apostles didn't think so, his disciples didn't think so, but it happened. I like to think of it as what happens when a Jewish father sees his son die, what does he do? He rips his clothes because of sorrow and anguish. So when Jesus cries out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. I mean, we see the agony of Jesus, but what about the agony of the Father? I think the Father really felt it and ripped the curtain. That's such a powerful picture. Yeah, um, okay, that's a very powerful picture, actually. That explains what took place. Because the significance of the temple, of the temple at that time, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't even there. But still, the, it, it was important for Jesus, right? Jesus loved it. He was presented there when he was young. He stayed there when he was 12. And when he was older, he called it, still called it my father's house. And he was passionate and zealous for it. But it had no Ark of the Covenant in it. Many of the high priests were very corrupt. Even the whole building had been remodeled from the ground up by the wicked King Herod who tried to kill him. So despite all the political and, and religious problems, Jesus saw past all of that and still loved it and knew this was God's house. No matter what anybody says, um, it's not the Antichrist temple, 
It's not an abomination temple. It is God's house that even whatever political uh, or religious corruption happens there, Jesus still sees it as the house of his Father in heaven. And uh, you expect it to be rebuilt? I think that biblically, I don't know how it would happen in modern history or how long it would take, but I think definitely that the prophetic move in the scriptures in the New Testament that we have strong hints that it will appear just like the state of Israel has been restored before Messiah comes. So the temple will also be restored when Messiah comes. And the question is, how will the Christian world react? Will they react that it is an abomination or that God is in this? And you, of course, think that this will be an act of God, though? I definitely, just as I do with the state of Israel. Some Christians consider the state of Israel to be a political abomination uh, in our world. I think it's a positive act of God, even if it's messy, if it's painful, uh, if it's a process, that God is in it, it's a miracle, and it's one of the strongest proofs that He is acting in our world today. Yeah. One thing for sure is that the times we're living is actually encouraging us to be more attentive to the Word of God and the prophetic, prophetic light and the expectation of Jesus' return. Mm. Uh, you know, that's what I feel at, uh, in these uh, times. Yeah. Uh, what is the next move for your organization, Cry for Israel, Cry for Zion? So we have two approaches. One is we want to support the right of the Jewish people to pray on the Temple Mount. It's very, very important. I encourage people to, to know about that. The second that we do is education. So we have a lot of top experts. We have events. We have YouTube videos and that we promote, and we're also working and we're asking for people's support for a big film, an epic film, to display the Temple Mount, Mount the Mountain of the King, uh, Mount Zion, in a way that's never been presented to people before. So pray for us. Um, it's right in the process of still filming and production, so people can look forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking very much forward to that film. Thank you very much, John, for your participation in this program, and I wish you the blessings of God in all your work here. Thank you. Ja, det var alltså det vi rakk for denne gangen. Tusen takk for at du har fulgt oss i denne programmet, og på gjensyn igjen neste uke. Takk for nå.